Hello, Bulls fans. Welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue White Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the show. On today's episode, I was hoping to be chatting about the Larry Markman situation and there being some sort of resolution to it all, but alas, another week churns on and still... Lowry Markkinen remains a free agent. The Bulls are still holding out on a sign at train, it seems, and so the stalemate ensues. So whilst we wait on the Markkinen stuff to unfold, I thought today we could get away from all the free agency talk and all the roster transaction stuff just for a little bit and instead focus on the mechanics of how all of these moves that we've seen in the offseason, how, how essentially they're going to come together and how the, the players that Bulls have brought in, how that's going to impact the style and play the team puts on the floor next season on both ends of the floor. So that's the plan for today. And really, I guess over the next seven or so weeks between now and the tip-off of, of the new season, this is where we fans can get to speculating about how these new-look Bulls will Bridge the gap between having a roster with the most talent it's had for years to being a fully functional team that realizes its full uh, full potential. So with that in mind, I want to talk schemes. I want to talk offensive sets. I want to talk about defensive philosophies and how we can expect the Bulls to beat some of these negative narratives that uh, exist out there, let's say, at the moment. So, And joining me to discuss all that and more is uh, one of the best analytical minds covering the team today, Stefan No, Stefan, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Mark. Looking forward to chatting some bulls with you. I know, mate. It's, it's been a while that I have, I've had you on the show, so I appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, like I said there from the outset, I obviously want to dive deep into how this is going how this is all going to work. But uh, because we haven't chatted for a while, you know, just give me your high level thoughts about the off season itself from your perspective. Obviously, the Lonzo signing, getting DeRozan in via a sign and trade, uh, all the moves itself. How, how have you found the Bulls? Uh, you know their off season, how it's all operated. Are you a fan? Uh, how are you feeling about it all? Well, I think the biggest thing that I wanted to see from Karnaschovas as soon as he took over was just for the team to pick a direction. Uh, it seemed like the Bulls were just hedging in so many different ways. Like they valued flexibility way, way too much, and it just ended up not doing anything uh, in the process. And you saw him kind of start to make that move towards winning now. Uh, with the Vooch trade and then obviously like he has advanced that a lot and I, I had kind of mixed feelings about it to tell you the truth but again I am glad that they are finally picking a direction and I think that they're at least giving themselves a chance like I think previously um, yeah just like being so indecisive in their path they just weren't accomplishing anything they were uh, basically setting themselves up to fail so at least they have a shot now at doing something interesting I really liked the ball signing I love the Caruso signing. That one came from out of nowhere. And he was actually a guy that I was really hoping that they would target. But I figured it was kind of a pipe dream because there was no smoke around that. And then the DeRozan thing, uh, I've kind of talked myself into it. I was kind of a, a little bit leery, I guess, seeing the price like a lot of people at first when it, when it first came across my timeline. But subsequently, you know, having some time to think about it and just watching a little bit more of what he did with the Spurs, I'm... I'm uh, I'm a lot more positive on the move than I was definitely at first. And um, I think, uh, as we'll probably get into later, that there are definitely ways to make that signing work. Although, um, yeah, some of the I think some of the criticisms around that signing are valid. But I think that, yeah, as we'll probably get into later, there's just um, it's, it's definitely not like a situation that they cannot get the most out of if they're just a little bit creative with how they use them. Yeah, for sure. Look, I, I, I certainly accept that uh, 
that there's a way or a path where this all doesn't work. Like I, I'm, uh, I'm not expecting this to just come in and, and, and be fully complete and the, the team to just function and fit seamlessly because there are serious questions that uh, I think need to be answered and that's part of what I wanted to discuss today because I think obviously it's fun to see all these big names come through and sh- through Chicago and I, I would argue this has probably been the best offseason in Bulls franchise history. I mean, at least for the last 20 or so years in terms of getting in talented guys. Like, you know, obviously 20, 2010, 2011, the Bulls got through a you know, Boozer and, and that nice bench, but you know, guys like Ball, DeRozan, they, they headlined that uh, this, this free agency class to a degree, and the Bulls went out and got their guys, and well, they landed them. Like you mentioned, Caruso there, I, I just didn't even, I didn't even think to think about how Caruso was a Bull because I just assumed there was no way that was going to happen. But yeah, to your point, like the fact that they they got it done and he became a Bull, like that was that was seriously impressive. So in that sense, I I just appreciate the team acting like a big market team for once. And maybe it fails, maybe it fails uh, spectacularly and um, it doesn't work, but at least they've uh, at least they've had a crack, I guess is the point. But um let's 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 dive into how this is all going to work because you know, for me as well, like obviously I've been very jubilant about this off season and and the way it's all happened. I think that's probably been the most exciting bit for me. Like the fact that they didn't really even use cap space to go out and get DeRose and Lonzo Ball and Caruso. Like that that was encouraging. Like they they operated like the Miami Heat, let's say, who very rarely ever has cap space, but still finds a way to get their guy. So so that was really encouraging. But now my attention is starting to focus on all right, like how is this going to work? And you wrote a really good piece um, up on your up on your Substack the other day around how the Bulls can sort of utilize DeRozan and how he sorts of sorts of fits with Levine, Vucevic, and Lonzo and those sorts of things. So um, maybe we can start with the offense first because that's I think naturally where we're all going to you know focus our minds at least because this is probably the most offensive talent the Bulls have had. I don't even know since when, to be honest with you. Like, this is the most offensively stacked team that I can remember in a long, long time. Again, let's see if it can come together. But, I mean, how do you think it can come together? You you, you alluded to it in your piece, and I don't necessarily want to give away that entire thing if people haven't necessarily read it just yet. But um, how how can the Bulls, how can DeRose and Levine, etc., you know, make it work on the floor? I think they can definitely be a top 10 offense, that group. And... Um... Yeah, I was watching some of the old games from last season after the Vooch trade, and the Bulls finished 21st according to NBA stats in offense last year, which obviously is not very good. Uh, but when I watched the team last year, um, their offense was pretty simplistic, and the reason for that was they only had one practice uh, with that new group through uh, post-trade deadline. So they didn't have a lot of time to put a lot of stuff in. It was a lot of... Um, you know, just simple pick and rolls, spread spread offense with uh, Zach Levine and Vooch running pick and rolls. And um, yeah, I kind of mentioned this idea of heliocentric offenses. It's kind of become a bit cliche, a bit of a buzzword in NBA circles. But that idea is that, yeah, you just have like one playmaking engine that creates for everybody else on the team. And the, I guess the classic examples are like Luka Doncic or Trey Young in the playoffs, you know, where they just let him run, you know, 50 mm-hmm. pick and rolls every yeah. game. Mm-hmm. And so the Bulls were kind of doing that a little bit uh, last year. They were, they were doing some other stuff too, but a lot of um, just basic pick and rolls with Zach and Booch. And I think that uh, with a full training camp with a lot more practices, they're going to go away from that because they did play with a lot more movement um, before the trade deadline when they had a, uh, you know, Wendell Carter, they were doing a lot of this delay action with him. They're, they're doing that with Vooch too, where um, 
you know, he catches up top and uh, they're playing with a bunch of shooters around him and he gets to make the decision on where the ball goes. Uh, so, you know, I think that the thing about Zach Levine too is uh, he's a really, really potent off-ball player. He didn't get mm-hmm. to do that at all last season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another reason why these guys are going to fit really well together because Zach is just an unbelievable shooter off movement. Like not a lot of guys can come off screens or, you know, do these sidestep threes or just shoot right over guys like Zach can. And he didn't have an opportunity to get that kind of space uh, on his three point attempts last year. And he still shot an amazing percentage. I don't have it in front of me, but he was over 40%. Uh, so I definitely, there, there's been a lot of talk I've heard of like this bubble or not bubble, but, um, just like this shooting effect without fans last season and how the offensive numbers were kind of inflated. And uh, along with that is the idea that maybe Zach's season was a little bit of a fluke last year because uh, just offense was up in general around the league. I just, even if that is true to some extent, I think the looks that he gets this year are going to be so much better. Just, um, yeah, being able to come off screens, being able to get the ball, uh, when other people create for him instead of just always having to create his own offense. And a lot of that is going to come from, you know, DeRozan. Uh, it's pretty well documented that he's a very good playmaker. He was basically playing point forward for the Spurs for the past couple of years. Uh, this one set that uh, you referenced, this Hawk set that I was uh, focused a lot of my article on, um, this was actually a really popular uh, trend like two or three years ago with um, Billy Donovan kind of, Made it popular with this 2017-18 Thunder team that had Carmelo Anthony, uh, Russell Westbrook, and Paul George. And that was another case where people were kind of saying, like, how is this offense going to fit? Like, these guys, you know, they all need the ball. There's only one ball. I I feel like I've heard this critique so many times about so many different offenses, and they just turn out to be awesome. Like, the Nets are another example where people are just saying, like, you know, there's only one ball, and, you know, they're the best offense in NBA history. (laughs) It doesn't really matter, you know, if you have these great offensive talents, but Donovan made it work. Um, yeah. By just going against this idea of heliocentric offense and having these guys play off each other, have a lot of movement screen for each other. And I think that's the way that the bulls are going to get the most out of their pieces. They're not going to play a style that has really become uh, very popular throughout the league. And I think they're instead going to be kind of interesting. Like I, I like when there's a diversity of styles throughout the league Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I think it's nice that the Bulls have a good shot. They have the right personnel to be able to do that, to add diversity and um, yeah, share playmaking duties, get these guys playing off each other by uh, having one guy create an advantage and having other guys screen for each other. You know, when, when great players screen for each other, it really puts the defense in a, in a bind because there's a mm-hmm. lot of pressure to get those uh, assignments correct. If you screw it up, then, you know, it's just going to be game over. So I think Donovan has been very good in the past at doing that. And um, I have confidence that he's going to do that again. Yeah, fair enough. And look, I I completely agree. And and to that point, I mean, you know, Levine can can work in isolation. So can DeRozan, you know, he can get the ball to Vucevic on the block to maybe isolate down there and do his own thing. But I, I kind of feel like the Bulls don't really have much of a choice but to to instill more of a team-based game anyway, just due to the fact that, you know, a Levine or DeRozan, like even, I understand DeRozan's like lifted his game as a playmaker, but he isn't a Luka, he isn't a Harden, he isn't a Trey, a Trey Young or even a LeBron. Like you can't center your offense around them. So I kind of feel like they have no choice but to be one of those team-centric type offenses. And 
to that point, like a lot of this hinges on, like at least in my mind initially, like I just assumed coming into this season that it was always going to, it, everything would boil down to the Levine Vucevic pick and roll. And look, it, it still may in some senses, but after the DeRozan signing, I guess where my mind started to go was, all right, well, where I was previously thinking Levine was going to get more opportunities on ball, and, and you alluded to it before, like now with DeRozan in, in play, the fact that he's lifted his game as a playmaker, the fact that he's probably better on ball because, you know, he can he can be a playmaker, he can step into his mid-range shots, and when he's off ball, he's obviously not much of a three-point threat. And maybe it makes more sense for DeRozan to continue to be that lead option from a playmaking point of view for the Bulls and to, to really exercise or use Levine as a, you know, a turbocharged Clay Thompson, let's say, someone who can come off the ball and start flying off screens and still getting the same level of usage, but maybe getting that usage in a different way. So in a lot of ways, for me, the the way this comes together, the way it works is on DeRozan and Levine's ability to maybe sort of share that duty of being that lead guy. So I mean, how do you think that'll unfold? Do you think Zach will be cool with having more of an off-ball role? And um, do you think Donovan even comes into the situation initially and says, well, look, DeRozan is going to be our you know, our primary creator, let's say, based on you know his skills, what he does well, but also his limitations and the fact that Levine is you know, such a complete offensive scoring force that you know, because of his uh, ability there and maybe some of the lim- limitations DeRozan has, that Zach will be off-ball more. Do, do you think he he has enough gravitas to come in straight away and maybe structure the offense that way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think Zach has always been about what's best for the team. You know, he has Mm -hmm. kind of a weird reputation of being a selfish player. But uh, like the past couple of years, every team has guarded in the same way. Uh, They just blitz him and try to get the ball out of his hands. And he's very good about making the right pass out of those blitzes and allowing his teammates to just play to an advantage. So I think if the team needs him to play off ball, he's willing to do that. You saw him do that in the Olympics too, where he... He yeah. took a, a very different role from what he's used to. They just made him basically like a focus on defense. He was picking guys up full court and he was doing it very, very willingly. And, you know, they won a gold medal for it. And I, I think it's interesting that you bring up that Clay Thompson comparison too. The the reason why I got on this whole idea is uh, Will Gottlieb, friend of your podcast and my former uh, podcast co-host, he was bringing this idea up on another great Bulls podcast, uh, Bulls 101, which uh, I know, I think you were their previous guest before him um, yeah, so that's also great maybe the week before yeah 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 shout uh, out to yeah will is, yeah shout out to those guys that are they're great will is uh based in the bay area and he has watched the warriors very closely and they're another example of a team that does not play this heliocentric style and mm-hmm. people are always clamoring you know why yeah. doesn't steph curry just run yeah, like yeah. 50 or 60 ball screens every single game yeah. and yeah. that's just not the way they play you know and they've been a very very good team obviously by um, not embracing that style. So I think that you can be very successful in that style. And that is a great way that Steve Kerr has utilized all those weapons. Um, The other reason why that works really well is because those guys are all very willing screeners. Steph Curry is a great screener, very Mm -hmm. underrated screener. And you saw Zach doing that a lot more last year. I'd never really seen him um, be very uh, enthusiastic about setting screens. But after Donovan came in, they were doing that a lot. He was setting a lot of cross screens for uh, Vucevic to get him open on the post, just for other guys too, and popping out to three. And that was those were their best plays, honestly. Like a lot of their ATOs that they were successful in uh, used that type of action. So just the uh, personnel that they have, they have very unselfish guys. They have veterans that know how to play, know how the spacing on the floor works. They're all willing screeners for each other. So I think that um, 
yeah, it just makes sense to embrace this different style of offense that uh, these guys have a lot of experience in. I, I mentioned the story that um, the Spurs play the style too. So DeRozan yeah. is very used to um, mm-hmm. playing a, a motion-based offense. That's what Popovich has always done. And they've mm-hmm. also used this Hawk set that I talked about in the story. So it, it just makes sense from a lot of different points of view. And um, yeah, I think that's definitely the way to go. I think that uh, to answer your original question, I guess, I think that Zach would be way more forward. It seems like at this point in his career, all he really wants to do is win and whatever it takes to do that. These guys have a ton of faith in Billy Donovan. They have He has a lot of buy-in, which is super, super important. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that if Donovan thinks that that's the best way to go, which, you know, I don't, I haven't talked to him about it or anything, so I don't know, but it would seem that that would make sense, then it can definitely work. Yeah, just look, it, it, theoretically, it makes sense because, you know, Levine can score in any which way. DeRozan maybe is a little bit limited, but what he does well, he does very well. So in that sense, maybe Levine has to sacrifice some and, and be more of that off-ball guy. But that's always what I've wanted from him, to be honest with you. Like the amount of times I've complained about the fact that this guy hasn't had a chance to just spot up and shoot from shoot from three because he's just had to always be on ball because the Bulls just haven't had another suitable playmaker to maybe take the ball out of his hands or justifiably take the ball out of his hands. But that necessarily isn't the case anymore. Like you've got DeMar there. Obviously, Lonzo is floating around as well. Like he, he, he will be a connecting piece, but I'm, I'm sure he'll want his opportunities in in running the offense as well so it it should all come together theoretically uh it's just gonna you know ultimately we'll see how it all uh, plays out in terms of how these guys are willing to to coexist with with each other and and yeah i take your point like there's never really been anything rumored anywhere between you know levine being a locker room guy or a bad locker room guy same with the rose and lonzo there's been no talk of that ever same with vucevic so to your point like they've got a bunch of good vets uh on the squad and you know if anyone's going to make it work it should be this this quartet here but uh you know what's been interesting for me is like i haven't necessarily had too many concerns about the fit of the rose and with levine and, and lonzo or anything it's, it's probably been more my question about Vucevic and how he fits with DeRozan, Levine, and Lonzo. I think that's where my uh, where my thinking about this whole thing is because, you know, when you bring in someone like Lonzo, and even, even before you got DeMar, but like when you bring in someone like Lonzo, let's say, who probably wants to play more in, in, more in space, wants to play more in a tempo offense, obviously someone like Levine would just be absolutely amazing in a fast-paced type of offense. Whereas you think about Vucevic, how he changed the Bulls offense and how it became a more half-court-based offense, a more post-driven offense. I, I wonder if there's going to be some clashes of styles between, say, someone like Vucevic and Lonzo and how that all works together as well to the point where I'm... Um, you know, I'm not even really questioning DeMar's fit because I think he, Levine, and Lonzo will work it out on the perimeter. But I, I, I'm kind of wondering how Vucevic fits in all this thing. Like, are they still going to run a, a post-heavy offense? Are they still going to slow down the pace and try not to get in, get out to transition as much because maybe they want to limit that from a defensive standpoint, but also from an offensive uh, perspective, they want to get more into a, you know, a post-driven type offense. So like, I don't know if I'm being foolish in thinking about that or if I'm just being, um, you know, just trying to, uh, you know, cover all the risks, let's say, coming into this season. But I'm kind of the, of the view that, you know, if anyone, I won't say doesn't fit because I think they will all fit and make it work. But if there's any risk about this not working, I, I kind of wonder if it's from a, a Vucevic perspective. 
I'm not really worried about that, to tell you the truth. Um, I mean, I, I do agree with you that he's not exactly going to be fueling their transition attack. Like, he's definitely going to be lagging behind, and maybe he'll get some trail threes or something. But you don't need all five guys over there, you know, to, to run a transition break. I think they're going to do what most teams do, which is probe the defense, see if there's anything there in the first couple seconds of the shot clock. And if there's not, then, you know, they'll pull it back and try to set something up. But I, I think Vucevic is a good fit because... He's a really, really good shooter uh, above mm-hmm. the break in yeah. particular. And yeah. that allows them to play uh, with great spacing. Uh, they can't exactly play five out because, you know, obviously yeah. DeRozan doesn't shoot threes. Mm-hmm. But when he has the ball, they got four guys on the perimeter that can space for him, yeah. which is huge. Um, and he had that, uh, DeRozan had that a little bit with LaMarcus Aldridge, but Aldridge is also like a, a reticent three point shooter, although he's been a little bit better uh, later in his career. But, um, yeah, Vucevic is going to open up a lot more space than any of those guys that DeRozan played with in the past. And the, uh, the other reason why I really like the Vucevic is he's a way, way better passer than people realize. And uh, like I was mentioning before, the Bulls run a lot of these delay sets where they give the ball to the center uh, top of the key. You saw Wendell Carter do this a lot. And the offense was not you know, spectacular with him in that role. He had a, he had a couple nice assists. That was a lot better, as we saw. But uh, yeah, Vucevic in that role, I think is going to be very good. Also, like defenders can't sag 15 feet off him like they did with Wendell Carter because he's just going to, you know, drill these above the break threes if they do that. So yeah. it's going to open up the middle of the floor for the rest of the players. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, the other guys can run like, yeah, Vucevic is going to just stay back there and chill out. <laughs> and if they don't, if they don't get anything right away, then uh, he'll he'll rejoin the rest of the team. Well, see, the way I sort of rationalize it in my, in my mind, like to, to try and, uh, you know, calm my own nerves, let's say, or, or go over the risk in my own mind is like, all right, well, maybe Donovan could sort of initiate, uh, you know, I won't say complete uh, roster, uh, not roster style, uh, revamps based on the on who's on the court, but maybe for certain units and depending who's on the floor, then, you know, maybe those five man units, um, depending, yeah, who's out, who's out there, like they can have identities of their own, like, um, you know, obviously the Nuggets play a certain way when, when uh, Jokic is on the court, but maybe they have to shift the way they play when he's off the court. And to that point, like maybe maybe they could have a sort of stagger-style offense where you have Vucevic and DeMar running that initial pick-and-roll action, but then where maybe those guys sit and maybe you could stagger Levine and Lonzo into that second unit, then maybe in that case you can play with a bit more tempo and, and get out there and maybe shift your style somewhat, I suppose. So I don't know. That's the way I've sort of thought about maybe... I know teams don't want to have multiple identities because it can be, you know, quite confusing. It could lead to, you know, further problems that uh, can be unforeseen. Let's say, but to best maximize the, the natural skill sets of guys, like maybe it can all be manipulated through rotations and and the way uh, Donovan sort of staggers his lineups. And I think he actually has a chance now to have uh, a situation where he has a legit creator on the floor at, at all times. Like last season, it was just Levine, and when he sat. The offense, you know, went to went to the toilet. Whereas now you've got the option to have one of Le- one of Levine or Demar on the court at all times, and that's just a huge luxury for the Bulls. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that um, I think I actually heard this from Ricky O'Donnell uh, that like just playmaking has become such a huge, uh, hugely important in the in the playoffs in particular. Like you can never have enough playmaking and shot creation. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely nice that the Bulls can space that out on on the bench rotations as you said just stagger those guys and always have somebody because the the bench um i mean the bulls bench was actually pretty good when they put all their veterans on there but at the start of the yeah. year uh mm-hmm. it was it was pretty brutal so yeah. they definitely could have used more 
shot creation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the problem with the idea of just playing multiple styles, though, uh, I think it's it's great. Like, it's a good idea, but Vucevic's backup is, like, even slower than he is <laughs> Tony Bradley. So, <laughs> yeah, they, that's true. I, I think they definitely need some more depth. Like, that is going to be a, a big problem, yeah, especially yeah. in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen how important it is, to, especially defensively, to be able to play a lot of different styles, like Brooke Lopez, you know, he wasn't even playing in, in the big minutes for the Bucs. He was um, yeah. the, the ability to go smaller. That's that was so key. Like if they had not been able to do that, they wouldn't they definitely would not have won the championship. So mm-hmm. the Bulls could definitely use um, a different type of big man. Uh, you know, Simonovich will probably get into him later, but I don't think he's quite ready to contribute and especially not, you know, like closing games is as their five or something like that. Um, so they, they need to make some more additions. They still have two or three roster spots left, depending on, I think if they use their, um, their trade exception. So yeah. they, yeah, big man that allows them to play a different style defensively is, uh, that would be the top of my list and things they, they still need going forward. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, I'm assuming, or at least I'm hoping, the the, the marketing situation is sort of holding that up. Maybe they're waiting to see how that unfolds, if they return a, a player or not. Like there was reports the other day from Tim Cato in The Athletic that the Bulls uh, would be interested in Maxi Kleber. I mean, in, in, a, in a Larry Markman swap uh, with Larry going to Dallas, like that would be exactly what we're discussing here. Where He is really good, by the way. Yeah, Kleber. Sure. Like, he would be and a he, great fit. Yes, one hundred percent. Like whether he's a backup power forward, you can even slide him up to power, um, up to center. Hell, he was even guarding Kawhi Leonard at times in the playoffs. Now, he didn't necessarily stop Kawhi, but the fact that you can throw him out on a big wing for a pinch here and there, like it, it, it just gives you someone that's very different to Vucevic and gives you a different look and feel to to your exact point. And I completely agree with that. Like even or even if you don't go the Kleber route, like if that's not possible, then having some sort of rim, rim running big, like I, I was very hopeful of a JaVale type situation. That would have been nice. So like just to offset what, what uh, Vucevic brings, but completely agree. They are, they need some sort of uh, different look at center or even up front more generally, but maybe we can take that logic and transfer that into, you know, how this all comes together defensively. I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be more of the same in the sense that they're going to maintain their, their drop heavy sort of coverage just due to the fact that you are somewhat limited with Vucevic. Um, and maybe just more generally limited with the the personnel the Bulls have on the perimeter. Like I'm not sure if you want to really be a, a switch a switching time team with uh, Levine and Demar out there on the perimeter either. So, in that sense, they are somewhat limited defensively in terms of how they can play. I know Bulls fans, uh, the, the drop coverage was a a big talking point last season. I'm assuming it's going to remain. But uh, what are your thoughts about how they're going to shape up defensively? Is it going to be a drop based defense? Do you see any scope for it looking any differently? Um, can they even play small as as you referenced there before? So I think the drop defenses can be very effective in the regular season. The Bucks, as I was talking about with Brook Lopez, they were yeah. number one, and I think I think they were number one two years ago, and they were top three uh last year just off my memory um playing primarily drop so it works in the regular season uh and you can get really good at it but in the playoffs when teams have a lot of time to prepare for it it becomes a much dicier situation so i think that yeah the bulls can be like a okay to maybe like a little bit above average defense but if they want to have success in the playoffs, then they need some scheme versatility. They need some sort of option of a, a smaller lineup, uh, which, again, that would be 
where a guy like Kleber would be perfect because he could play small ball five like very competently. Mm-hmm. Even like Simonovic, you know, like I know some people want to. He, he was playing five uh, for the summer league team, but yeah. he was playing um, a shallow drop for basically the entire time. And when he was switched on to people, like he didn't, he didn't look great. So <laughs> th- he's not really an option either. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, this is so where they losing need somebody that can switch. Yeah, yeah. that, yeah. that would have been great in that role. Mm-hmm. They they just need somebody for sure. Yeah, look, I mean, ideally, you know, maybe Patrick Williams could slide up to five, but he's probably not ready, you know, physically, but also probably, you know, mentally understanding how to play center, let's say, like that, that would be nice. And maybe you could take Vooch off the floor, shift uh, DeMar up to four and put Patrick Williams in five and maybe throw Caruso out there. Like that would be fun and interesting, but he's probably not ready for that responsibility just yet. But, you know, maybe that's a couple of years away. But I, I certainly take your point, like they need some sort of uh, versatility versatility from a defensive standpoint, uh, but I'm not sure it exists at this moment. So I guess like my reservations about this team, not that I have many, is probably more so on the defensive side of the ball. I think they're all going to come together and make it work uh, offensively. Yes, Caruso, uh, you know, he's going to lift the point of attack defense so much uh, that it's not going to be, uh, it's going to be, you know, just amusing to, to look, watch him play defense versus what we're sort of being used to sort of last season, let's say. Even Lonzo Wast, he's not the greatest point of attack defender. He's average to good, and even that in itself will be very helpful. So I've, I've kind of got some hope that the drop will look a lot better than what we saw last season in, because. You know, the point of attack shouldn't be killed like it was last season. We should give someone like Vucevic a more time to sort of make his decisions in that drop coverage where, yes, it may be better in the regular season. Maybe it's problematic in the playoffs depending on matchups and those sorts of things. But I do think there is scope here for the Bulls to be an average defense. And I know people like to reference the fact that they were like, you know, 11th or 12th in defensive rating last season. But I kind of throw that out because last season was uh, just a weird season more generally with COVID and that sort of stuff, you know, back-to-backs all the time. And the team itself just changing, like, their lineups virtually every other week, whether it was due to trades, COVID, whatever it might have been. So I don't really know if I consider what they did last season to be representative of how it can sort of unfold this season. But based on this squad right now, I think there is some scope for them to be okay defensively. And if they can just be okay defensively whilst being a top 10 offense, like you like you mentioned before, then I don't know, where do you think this team could sort of position itself in the Eastern Conference, noting that the East itself has improved as well? So I think they could be a very good regular season team. Again, I, I think there are issues that would crop up in playoff series. But mm-hmm. um, the comparison I made... I, I actually see a lot of comparisons, uh, a lot of similarities between this team and, and the one I mentioned before, that 17-18 uh, Thunder team. That team won 48 games um, and then got bounced in the first round, which kind of disappointingly. But yeah, I think their defense, I agree with you, their defense can be average. You know, I think Vooch, he is a very decidedly average center, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. He's mm-hmm. not as bad as people think. I think Zach is maybe a little bit below average, but the the biggest struggles the Bulls had defensively, um, people were giving them a very hard time, but I think part of that is that people don't realize just how good offenses around, like Bulls fans specifically, don't realize how good offenses <laughs> have gotten around the league. So just yeah. seeing teams scoring on you over and over is kind of jarring. But if you watch the rest of the league, I mean, it's happening to every team. Like, as you said, they finished 12th and, you know, there's there's like daily freakouts about how bad the defense was, but it was it was actually like better than average. Um, and a big component of how good a defense is is, I think, related 
a lot to age. So the 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 times where the Bulls defense struggled a lot was when they were playing these very young players. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kobe White was, I mean, he he was he was among the worst defenders at his position, and that's yeah. I mean that's you know that's gonna happen just because of how young he is. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Patrick Williams too. Like he was not very good defensively. Uh, to be quite frank, like he had moments where he was extremely good, where mm-hmm. he showed these amazing flashes and um he's gonna be better for sure how much better is a question like i think they're counting on him a lot to be <laughs> at least average yeah. and that can happen you know we don't really know how much he's gonna grow um and then the other guys like i said like um it's a function of age they're they're getting veterans in there that know how to play so i think that's gonna help the defense too it's gonna mask a lot of the stuff that is problematic about you know, DeMar can't guard one-on-one. I don't really care if DeMar can guard one-on-one, you know, like the more important thing is that these guys get the rotations right when, mm-hmm. when somebody um, mm-hmm. gives up an advantage to to the player they're guarding. Um, and it seems like the defenders that they've picked up, especially Ball and Caruso, those guys are awesome help defenders. That's way, way more important than being good on ball de- defender. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think their defense is going to be okay, To to be honest. Yeah, and look, where, where Patrick Williams has scope to grow is the fact that, you know, he's probably better suited to the power forward position. That's where he should be playing. And he's probably more of an inside help type defender than being a perimeter lockdown type of player, which the ball sort of forced him into last season just due to the fact that the team had no wings on it and had no real perimeter defense. So he should be a better help defender than he is perimeter defender, let's say. And I, I kind of want to hold my reservations of what this defense can or can't be based on, again, how the roster shakes out. Because, you know, my feeling about it will change very differently if for whatever reason, you know, someone like Maxi Kleber or even a Paul Millsap becomes your backup power forward versus a situation where, okay, Larry Markkinen comes back on the qualifying offer, your backup bigs, uh, Tony Bradley, Larry Markkinen, and Marco Simonovic. Like in that instance, my reservations would grow, let's say, whereas... You know, if you have a Kleber or a Paul Millsap and, you know, you've got Javante Green on there from a defensive standpoint too, Troy Brown Jr., they can do some stuff on defense. Like, I don't know, like obviously you'd have more of your defensive guys on the bench and maybe to close games that becomes problematic, but there would still be players on the team, I guess is the point, that can do some stuff defensively. Whereas, you know, in a situation where they maybe bring back Larry, like that's where I become a little bit uh, a little bit more scared. So... I'm kind of uh, I'm at the point now where maybe we can transition to the, to this uh, Stefan and maybe get your on your get your thoughts about the Larry situation. I started the podcast basically saying there's no update, and of course there is no update. But I mean, what are your what are your thoughts about bringing back Larry at this point? Is is that a, a tenable situation? He's he's been pretty clear that he doesn't want to come back. But I mean, even for the qualifying offer, I've seen some some noise from certain people that suggesting like that Larry back on the qualifying offer because he can come in and shoot 40% from the three like that, that would be a good, a good option for the bulls from a backup power, power forward perspective. I mean, I completely disagree with that, but um, I'm interested to get your thoughts on what you would do with Larry. And if he does come back and the bulls retain him as a backup option, would, would that, I don't know, would that be a good thing? Okay, so I'm going to get the Bulls mob on me here. I'm going to drop a hot take here (laughs) and uh, say that, yes, I do think that bringing Lowry back on the qualifying offer would be a good situation for the Bulls. It might not. It also actually might be an okay situation for him based on what his options are. And, I mean, they're only paying him $8 million a year. They're not going to be close to the tax, so that's not a concern if they bring him back. And, uh, I mean... 
he is the best free agent still out there. They're not going to find somebody better than him. I understand that he is he's not what Bulls fans wanted him to be. But the pendulum has swung way, way too far on the other side now. Like he's still a useful rotation player. Like if he's your seventh or eighth guy on your yeah, team, yeah. like that's a pretty damn good seventh or eighth player. Um, so the the problem before was like they were trying to make him the number two guy, you know, and he's definitely not that. At least not on the Bulls. Uh, I think that so the the situation with Laurie is kind of interesting because he can take this qualifying offer, right? Or like he wants to get signed and traded and the Bulls have to help facilitate that. But the problem is that, you know, there's no teams with cap space. He's not going to get the money that he's looking for, even if he does get signed and traded. And these sign and trade deals, you have to sign for at least three years, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you could say, you know, why doesn't Larry just take a a kind of prove it deal? But he's going to have to play three years on a contract that he thinks he's undervalued at, right? So like, let's say he he finds a way to facilitate like a $10 million a year um sign and trade well now okay he's stuck on that contract for three years if he just plays a qualifying offer plays really well you know he makes what he thinks is not his market value of eight million but he gets back on the market now you know he can potentially get a a much bigger deal if he really does play as well as he thinks he can so i think that in that respect like it's it makes sense from lowry's point of view obviously like he has said he's made it very clear that he does not want to come back to the bulls that he wants a fresh start. And that's also totally understandable. Like, I I don't really like the animosity that fans um, direct towards Lowry. Like, I mean, the guy tried hard. He didn't want to be a disappointment in Chicago. You know, he worked very hard, and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. So, um, you know, I if they could get somebody like Kleber, I think Kleber's the better player right now, but Lowry has more potential. He's younger. Uh, so that's why it would make sense from the Mavs perspective, why the Mavs would want to do it. But yeah, if they got Kleber, like I would be more than happy with that. If they bring back Lowry, you know, that's fine too. If they just, uh, you know, get a trade exception for him and then don't use it, I think that would be really bad because they do, as I've said (laughs) many times at this point, they do need to still add valuable rotation pieces. Otherwise, they're going to be kind of screwed. And he's basically their last option to be able to add somebody quality that's not going to be at the minimum. It's, you know, people, people point to these minimum signings and say like, oh yeah, you know, the Bulls can just sign that guy. But the fact is, like, there's a lot of minimum signings, and like most of them are not very good. Like, there, yes, there's a handful that end up being very good value for their teams, but 90% of those guys, like, you know, they're just not helping you uh, over the course of a season. And the Bulls don't want to have to put themselves in a situation where they're preying on a 10% chance that the minimum guy they sign ends up being good. You know, they'd much rather get. I mean, if you if you get somebody in Lowry's salary slot, then it's a much, much safer bet that you're going to get good production out of that guy. Are you suggesting if they don't bring, or that they shouldn't bring back Ron Archidiakono on a minimum deal then? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I was thinking, I was seeing all your tweets. Uh, I know you're a huge Simonovich fan based on your Twitter feed. And I was just yeah, thinking yeah. like, man, Mark has this little uh, I, need, I need a guy. I need a guy. In his heart. <laughs> I just yeah, want to set you up for uh, just I don't want to see you get hurt again, Mark. So I'm, I'm oh, a little bit funny. worried about you. But, uh, yeah, we will find you your next Arch on this roster. Don't worry. Well, I mean, Caruso. Caruso is a supercharged version of Arch. But uh, I guess where I disagree with the Larry stuff is, like, I don't know if it makes sense for him or the team. And and this isn't driven by animosity about Larry wanting to be out. And I I have no issues with that because, you know, if I was in Larry's situation, I'd want to be out too. But, um, like, to me, it doesn't make sense for the Bulls just more generally because, 
you know, yes, he's a talented player. Obviously, he's probably the best player from a talent perspective they couldn't necessarily sign at this point. But just from a fit point of view, like how 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 does it work from a fit perspective? Because, you know, from a backup point of view, he would obviously, um, you can't play him with Vucevic. We, we kind of know that already based on what we saw last season. Yeah, you can't I mean, have he would him. be a bench guy for sure. Yeah, but like he would be a bench guy, but at some point he would be crossing over with the starters and like you can't play him, Demar, and Vucevic together. There's problems in that point of view. And then like from his perspective, like if he wants to come back and, you know, make it on a prover type deal, if he's still going to be in a backup role where he's playing, you know, 20 minutes a game and the league sort of has already told him that he's a backup. I mean, in, in a lot of these situations that he potentially could find himself in a sign and trade going toward, like he would still probably be a backup. So... I don't know if he's really going to have a chance to maybe, uh, you know, show out here in Chicago and prove that he should be a, a 15, 20 million type dollar player. Like uh, in, in that sense as well, it, it, from my point of view, it doesn't really make sense for player or team. So like whilst someone like Paul Millsap is probably the, the lesser player, let's say, um, in terms of, you know, pure talent at this point, like to me, from a fit point of view, he would just be, you know, infinitely more valuable than bringing back Larry Markin on the, on the qualifying offer. So, uh, I'm at the point now where I, they need to break. Uh, they need to, you know, cut, cut all ties, whether that happens via the sign of the trade or some other form. But I just, I, I just don't think it's tenable to bring him back at this point. Not because of the fact that he's wanting to exit Chicago, a former ball wanting to leave, but I, I just don't think it makes sense for this roster. And that's kind of where I'm at. Like I, I need a defensive guy coming off the bench, and if my first big coming off the bench is Larry Markkinen, then. You know those defensive things that we talked about before, like that, that becomes problematic. Well, I think they can still get Millsap. I think Millsap's probably going to sign for the minimum somewhere. I mean, he's at the tail end of his career, so those options are not multi- uh, mutually exclusive. But I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, Mark. But the thing is, like, the options for the Bulls at this point are not great to fill out those last couple spots, and the options for Lowry are not great. So you're trying to find the best of like not not perfect conditions. So yeah, all of Larry's options kind of suck. Uh, he's kind of gotten screwed yeah. here. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just taking the one-year deal and then trying to rehab his value, I don't think it can get any worse. So I think that that's why he would consider the option. And also, I don't even know if the Bulls are going to let him, are going to facilitate the sign and trade, you know? Like, they can really play hardball with him and just force him to basically play on the qualifying offer at this point. And then, yeah, from, uh, like, who who would be the other center that you would want there? Um if not Lowry, you know, Lowry is not, I don't think he's, he, he was not great as a five defensively, but certainly, um, I mean, they can use his shooting. Like he allows them to play a different style. Like I was saying, like he, he is a much better transition player than anyone they have on the team, uh, on this spot. So I don't know. There's just not that many. I mean, if you look at the people that are still left in free agency, there's just not a lot out there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but uh, at the same time, maybe, maybe I, w- I would be okay with trading for a, for a TPE on the provisor that obviously the team uses that in season. So maybe it's a problem, you know, within the first 20, 30 games, but you can uh, obviously still vamp up your roster thereafter. And I'm sure there's a, a bunch of bigs around the league that teams would be willing to uh, to get off, let's say, from a salary point of view, like you know, one of the Plumleys got moved pretty quickly. I'm not, I'm not suggesting the Bulls should go after a Plumley of sorts, but like there's there's bigs around the league earning seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars. Let's say that maybe you could take into that TPE, whether it's not now 
maybe you know a couple of months into the season so um, potentially who knows but uh, I don't know I just I just don't think it makes sense schematically um, I, I kind of want it to be over and I'm hoping it's over soon but um, maybe the next time I do this stupid podcast it will be but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll find out in due course but um, Stefan nonetheless mate I appreciate you coming on and um, you know help, helping me sort of dive into the more how this is all going to come together rather than obviously you know this signing happened here or there like whilst that's all fun and and, and interesting for us to discuss in the moments uh now is the time when it all sorts of starts to make sense or where we try to make it make sense i suppose so um i appreciate you coming on mates um before you get away though tell the people when they can follow you online in the rare chance they're not already yeah you could follow me on twitter at steph no s-t-e-p-h-n-o-h and uh i have a sub stack it's free um you can sign up for the newsletter no ads yeah it's uh you can find it through my twitter profile or i also just tweet out the story so you can just click on it that way the only benefit of subscribing is you get a little email alert whenever i write but if you don't need that then if you're like me if you're on twitter uh 24 7 then you can just (laughs) you can just look at the old timeline and find my stuff there very good. Well, I'm definitely like you on Twitter all the time, but I um, signed up and I get it via the email too. So I, I definitely implore people to do the same. So follow Stefano on Twitter. Uh, if you're not doing so already, what the hell are you doing? But uh, whilst you're out there following Stefan, do the same for me in the red chance that you want to do that, I suppose, at MK Hoops on Twitter, at Bulls HQ Pod on Twitter as well. If you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord, uh, you can drop me an invite on, on um, sorry, you can drop me a DM on Twitter. I will let you know via an invite as to what the link is there. Um, also in the show notes within this episode, there'll be an invite to the Discord there. The Discords are growing every day. So if you want to be part of it, jump on there as well. So that just about does it for this episode of the show. Again, thank you to Stefan for coming on. Like I said, maybe the next time we speak, there will be some Larry news. That would be nice. Uh, it'd be interesting to have some sort of resolution to this whole thing. But, um, you know, fingers crossed. But nonetheless, when that happens, Bulls fans, we'll be back to, to speak about Larry. We'll be back to speak about anything else pertaining to our Chicago Bulls. So be on the lookout for that next week. But for now, that's about all we have for you at this point. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.